Now today we're going through our next chapter in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going through, for those who are new, we have a series that's called Devoted, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. And we've been journeying, journeying chapter by chapter right through the entire book of Acts. And today we're up to Acts chapter 21. Now this chapter has some really awesome insights into genuine forgiveness. And we're going to be looking at how, well there's a few points we're going to be looking at. I might throw them up on the board. We'll come back to those. These are the three points that we're going to be looking at for the sermon today. Number one, genuine forgiveness. What does it look like? Number two, embracing forgiveness. What does it take to actually embrace the forgiveness that God and others are offering us? And thirdly, we're going to be unpacking contagious forgiveness. But before we jump into Acts 21, let's just recap where we've been. So the Apostle Paul, he's been on his first missionary journey, he's been on his second missionary journey, and now he's coming to the very end of his third and final missionary journey. And he's got it in his mind that he needs to get to Jerusalem as quickly as he can. And we saw this last week. He was coming, he got near, he was in a boat, and he got near the um, city of Ephesus, which had a lot of believers there, and he would have loved to go and spend time with them. But he didn't, he didn't quite go there. He stayed in Miletus, and he made them come to him because he wanted to have the shortest trip that he could possibly have and then quickly head down to Jerusalem. And he, here's a bit of a recap from Acts chapter 20. He says, well, Luke says, the author of Acts, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, the, the version that we looked at last week said, bound by the Spirit. And if you remember a few um, sermons ago, we were talking about, how do I discern what God's will is in my life? And sometimes, God's will kind of seems a bit murky and, 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 and unclear. But here we see an example of Paul, where he knows absolutely, without any doubt, what God's will is for his life. And so he says, I am constrained or bound by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there. He goes on to say, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city and that imprisonment and afflictions await me. It seems that no matter each of these, as he's going through this final part of his third missionary journey, each of the towns, each of the city he goes to, the Spirit through some person would come up to Paul and say, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. There's some sort of imprisonment awaiting you. There's some sort of affliction awaiting you. And we're going to find that this continues to happen through the chapter this time. And so the Spirit is both urging him on, but at the same time giving Paul these very um, direct and um, serious warnings about what might lie ahead if he chooses to follow God's path down there. But Paul goes on to say, but I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I have, that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So we hear, see here that Paul was someone of complete conviction, someone of, of passion, someone who realized God's calling upon his life, and there was nothing, no matter what sort of dangers or trials that could possibly lie ahead, that was going to stop him from reaching his goal in Jerusalem and, and beyond. Now, the very end of chapter 20, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the, part of, on, the, on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful 
most of, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So this is, we're in Miletus, and we're about to journey from Miletus on our way back to Jerusalem. So open up your Bibles, and turn with me to Acts chapter 21. And as I said, there's three points we're going to look at in this sermon. Genuine forgiveness, embracing forgiveness, and contagious forgiveness. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. It says, And when we parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Koz, and then next to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there, there the ship was unloaded, had unloaded its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now remember how we saw in the last chapter that every city that Paul went to, the Spirit would be warning him that imprisonment and affliction awaits you, Paul. And here we see, again, that same thing takes place. And it's this rapid journey on his way back to Jerusalem, and he gets there, and the, the believers, these people, that, these genuine disciples are saying to Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to be really, really bad for you. Does Paul listen? He doesn't. He keeps going. He's bound by the Spirit. He's, he's constrained and compelled by the Spirit, and he continues on. Verse 5. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they, and they returned home. I love this picture here. Here's a community of believers who really has great uh, love for Paul, and Paul's about to, to leave. And I just love this picture of, of them gathering their, their, their wives and their children together and kneeling down on the beach, ready to pray for Paul and to f- bid him farewell. And it makes me think, are we intentionally doing things to provide these sorts of spiritual memories for our families. Because here we see they're gathering them together and they're praying with their families, they're, they're, they're including them in, in the work that God is doing. And I believe that these are some experiences that these kids would have really remembered. Looking back, oh, you remember when Paul came along and we had that, and, he, and we prayed there on the beach, and that was a highlight for my, my walk with God. But we're still, um, so we're on a rush on our way to Jerusalem, and he doesn't stay there very long. Verse 7. When we had finished the the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, did you notice the use of the personal um, pronoun we as we go through here? Remember, Luke's the one who's writing this, and all through the, the, the last chapter in this chapter says, we, 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 we. What does that tell us about Who's traveling with Paul? Luke's with him. Okay? So Luke's with him, and he's writing down the details of the various things that are happening. And some of these details just seem insignificant. But in verse 8, there's a number of really significant details which tell us lots about forgiveness, and they're very easy to skip over. Verse 8. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of who? Philip. The what? The evangelist who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Is that significant? Not sure? 
let's review the journey and let's, let's recall back to earlier in the series, it might seem like a long time ago, when Philip, we, we found this person called Philip. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 6 and we find these seven men. Now in Acts chapter 6, we saw this disagreement that broke out amongst the believers in Jerusalem. There was the Hellenistic Jews, and they were saying that the widow, their widows weren't getting their share of the, the money that was being distributed amongst, amongst, amongst the poor, and they got this, this fight almost broke out. And so the apostles said, we need to sort this out, but we can't give up our, our work of, of preaching the word. We need to give this to some faithful people who can sort out this problem. And they, they found seven people, and these people were, Acts chapter 6 verse 5, and says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. Do you remember Stephen? A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And who's our second person? Philip. And Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Now, if Philip was a part of the seven, and Stephen was a part of the seven, do you think Philip was very close friends with Stephen? He would have surely been, at least known him quite well. He would have worked beside him. Stephen was most likely a brother, a spiritual brother to, to Philip. These are people that would have been really close, really have a really strong connection with them. But in the very next chapter, we see Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen is, has his connection with the Holy Spirit in a, in a strong way, and he's preaching, he's doing these miracles, and people become really um, jealous of him, and, and they... They don't like what he's doing, and so they, they drag him before the Jews, and, and, and Stephen gives this great, this great sermon. And at the end of that, the people are so furious that they drag Stephen out, they throw him with stones, and throw stones upon him, and they kill him. Who was there when this took place? It says, Then they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we also see in in Acts chapter 21, who's by the name of Paul, same person. The next thing that takes place in Acts chapter 8 is the persecution breaks out upon the church, and this persecution is headed up by the same person, Paul. It goes on to say, I and uh, saw approved of his execution. So here, when Paul was standing here, he was actually approving of the killing of Stephen. And it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So Paul doesn't just stop with approving the death of Stephen, but he is seeking the destruction of the entire church there, the, the group of believers against um, He's, he's trying to destroy the whole lot of them. And he's going in there and he's dragging them out and he's, and he's putting them in prison and, and he's, he's, he's seeking to do to all of them what he really had already done with Stephen. Verse 2, let's not miss this. It says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Who do you think those devout men were? Any ideas? Well, we don't know exactly because it doesn't tell us, but it's very likely that if Philip was named right next to Stephen in, in the seven, it could have been even Philip who was one of these people that buried Stephen, or at least he would have been experiencing the same grief that, that these men would experience. It says, they made great lamentation over him. 
but Saul didn't stop there. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached to them the Christ. So Philip here is in connection with, with what Paul was doing back in the early days. Firstly, his brother in Christ, Stephen, was murdered by Paul. And secondly, his, his home in... He was chased out of Jerusalem. He was fleeing for his life. His friends were being put in prison. And he's just running for his life. What sort of thoughts do you think Philip might have had towards um, Saul at this stage? Do you think it was very favorable? How does it make us feel when someone wrecks someone that we love, hurts someone that we love, wrecks something that we, we, we dis- disturbs our home situation? It's not very good, is it? Now, to give you an illustration, this Bible here is one that, this is my favorite Bible. Okay, it's got this nice leather case on it, so it doesn't, it doesn't um, get damaged. It's um, has all my notes in there, my underlinings and all that sort of thing. But earlier this year, someone intentionally damaged this Bible. Okay? And if you look really close, you can't see it probably there, but there's these little gouges on the front. And when I found out, do you think I was happy? wasn't very happy. I'll show you the person who did this. This is... One of our ha- was one of our housemates, and his name is Thomas. Now, Thomas enjoys making our lives miserable. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But Tom- All right, so Thomas wrecked the cover of my Bible. He did the same thing to this nice cover I had on my iPad, and the sins of Thomas could just go on and on. Um, like, for example, we have this really nice wildlife outside our house. These beautiful water dragons. And one day I walked out of the house and one of my friends, one of these water dragons, was missing quite a large portion of him. The next day the same, the next day the same as well. Three water dragons in three days. You think that was making me happy? This cat is getting on my bad side. Another time, oh, then later on in the year he got fleas. Okay, and he likes climbing on our benches, on our dining room table. And you'd sit down with a bowl of cereal, about to eat some food, and there'd be all these little flea eggs surrounding you that he's like scratched off. Getting a little bit more irritated with this cat. Then, I guess probably one of the, the worst things he did, I remember looking and he was sitting in my sink. And I was thinking, what are you doing in my sink, Thomas? And then someone said, maybe he's peeing in your sink. And I was like, he wouldn't be doing that. And so I raced over there and I pull up and he's peeing in my sink. And now he's peeing on the ground. And I'm just like, Thomas, what are you doing? Now, Thomas has ruined a few things that are close to us. But, and to be honest, when Thomas had done in my sink, he was outside for the rest of the day. I didn't want to be anywhere near him. But... When people hurt something that, we are close, that is close to us, it irritates us. It, 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 it really impacts us in a strong way. But those are, that's, they're just funny little examples. But put yourself in the shoes of, of um, Philip. 
Philip has had his, one of his close friends murdered. He's been kicked out of Jerusalem. He's running for his life. Probably a lot of his friends are in prison. They've been beaten. And he's fleeing for his life. How would have he been feeling towards Saul? Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Let's read this. And now with, with this, now that we've revisited the, um, what we've already learned about Philip in Acts, let's look for those little details that Luke puts into the story. Okay, Acts 21, verse 8. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of who? Of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and did what? We stayed with him. Now, I can imagine when, when Philip sort of met with the, the other disciples in Caesarea, and he, they, they, they heard that, that Paul had, had just arrived, and they're like, where should, where should um, Paul stay? What, what house should he stay in? I can imagine it would have been easy for Philip to go, all right, yeah, I, I know he's changed, right, and I'm happy with him coming to, to, to our town, but just don't let him stay in my house. I just don't want him that close to me because when he saw them, it would have brought up a whole lot of hurt in his life. But is that what he did? Philip invites Paul into his house. That's a picture of genuine forgiveness. But just how genuine was it? Let's keep going on. Verse 10. Acts chapter 21, verse 10. While we were staying many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, do you remember Agabus? Agabus is the prophet of, of doom. When they were in, in, uh, in Antioch, Paul was there. Agabus comes in and says, All right, I've got a message from, from God that a famine is going to come across the whole land. Okay, not a really exciting message to hear. Now remember, Paul is going from town to town to town, and each of these towns, someone is coming to him, by, led by the Spirit, to warn him about what's going to take place when he hits Jerusalem. And now Paul sees Agabus. What, what do you think he's thinking? Not Agabus. Man, he, last time he had bad news, and I'm sure it's the same here again. Verse 11. It says, In coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of Gentiles. So this, this sort of dramatic way of, of giving this prophecy binds his hands and his feet with Paul's belt and saying, Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, this is going to be the outcome. You're going to be bound, you're going to be imprisoned, it's not going to be good. Now, Philip here, remember, Philip's in, in, in this situation as well. He's amongst them around him. Do you think Philip would have been maybe slightly happy about this prophecy? Remember what, what Paul had done to his, his mate Stephen, to his whole community, his family? It would have been easy for, um, for Philip to, to just sort of think. He might not have said this out loud, but think deep down, well, he's, he's kind of had this coming for him. I mean, remember all the things he did back then? This is kind of God's way of getting a bit of justice on Paul. What goes around comes around, I suppose. Is that what Philip thought? This is what happens afterwards. Verse 12. It says, When we heard this, we and the people, including Philip there, 
urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he, he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. How genuine was Philip's forgiveness? He didn't just invite him into his home, but when he heard that harm was going to come upon him, he weeped and he pled with Paul, don't go, don't go down that way because I don't want to come upon you the very things that you brought upon us. This here is a picture of true, biblical, genuine forgiveness. And it makes me think, ask the question for me, who are the people in my life that have wronged me? Who are the people who, whether it was intentional, whether it was accidental, whatever it might have been, who are the people who have wronged me and have I experienced genuine forgiveness towards them? And how do I go about giving that genuine um, forgiveness to them? And we're going to unpack this as as we go through. So that's point number one, genuine forgiveness. Number two is embracing forgiveness. Now, the process to not only giving forgiveness, but also being forgiven can also be a tricky and a difficult one as well. Sometimes it's easy to forgive others, but it's not very easy to forgive yourself. When I was at Arise, there was an experience, and David might not have actually heard this, but it's kind of a funny story. We, were, we came back from door knocking. So we'd been out in the community, and we'd been knocking on doors, and one of the people in our, in our outreach car He'd knocked on a door of a house and, and became friends with him pretty quickly. And he'd actually given my friend this compound bow. Okay, so it's this large um, bow and arrow, like one of those real like, crazy hunting ones. And it had the arrow and had this metal tip on the end. And this was a pretty serious machine. And so we got back, and as soon as we got back, it was just, the sun had just gone down and it, was, it was just got dark. And we're just thinking, man, we have to, we have to get this bow out and we need, to, um, we need to test this thing out. Now, at Arise, at the school there, they have a policy that is no weapons. Okay? And we didn't think about that at this stage. And so we, we get up, and there's a tree maybe, uh, maybe as far as the piano is from me over there. And the person who got given it, he's like, we're like, yeah, yeah, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. We're just like egging him on. And so he pulls it up, and he, and he pulls back the bow, and he shoots it. It goes past the tree over the basketball court, which is in the dark, down over the hill, and disappeared. And the next thing we hear is this, ding! And we sort of pause for a moment, what is that? And we go, the water tanks. (laughs) And it had gone straight into one of the the water tanks down there. And at this point, we're like, we're, we're suddenly like, this was a terrible idea. Not to mention that there could have been someone like standing on the basketball court or anything like that. And we raced down. And when we're going down, I just sort of had this bit of a joke. I, I just jokingly said, oh, don't worry. We won't need a torch. We'll just hear for where the water's coming out. And we're like, ha, that's funny. And we get down there and we hear this. And there is seriously a stream coming out maybe two or three meters from the water tank. And we're in panic mode here. We're like, we have to cover this up. We ha- we have to fix this. And so, I can see David's hearing this for the first time. He 
we covered it up well. And so um, Tyson, who was with us, he, he great, jumps into his car and he gets out this, this, um, this screw, this metal screw, and he, and he starts screwing it in. Thinking, he's like, Mr. Fix-It Man, he's going to fix this problem. And he screws this in, and then the screw goes in, but the water's still coming out. But then he can't get the screw out. And this is, this is just turning into this big dramasome thing, which just started out of basically this silly little idea that we had. And so we eventually get that, and we, we find this little stick that's the right size, and we squeeze it in, and the water stops. Success. We have covered our sin. And I remember, go, and, and we had to go back to, we had like a gathering, we got back together, and we had to give our sort of testimonies from, um, from, our, from our time out on, on the evangelism. And I remember sitting there just thinking, like, I was not paying any attention to anything that was going on, and all of us were just looking at each other like, we need to get back down there and fix it probably. Because we're just picturing these little sticks like flung out and, and that sort of thing. Anyway, it gets later on and we are starting to feel guiltier and guiltier about what we've done. And I remember um, the, the guy that actually shot it, he'd like ducked off to town somewhere. He'd like just booked it and gone. Um, Brandon, if probably no one here knows Brandon but from David, he's just having this massive attack of conscience. He's just like, oh no, like... They're going to find out, and, and, and Arise is going to be closed down, and all this sort of stuff's happening. And he's just like being absolutely like eaten up from inside. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't shoot it, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm safe, even though I fully egged him on. Now, the process for us to sort of find forgiveness, and maybe we didn't go through all of that, would have been a difficult one because... In order to seek out forgiveness, we need to actually come face to face with both the things that we've done and the people that we've done those things against. Now, Paul, we've been focusing on Philip. Now let's focus a little bit on Paul. And let's review a a few of the things that that Paul had done. So Acts chapter 6, 7, stoned to death, proved by Paul. Acts chapter 8. Paul is persecuting the church, dragging people off to to prison, um, and just absolutely devastating the church. Acts chapter 9, Paul meets who? Jesus. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men of uh, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a, a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What would have gone through Paul's mind when he heard those words. The very person that he'd been so zealously trying to destroy and the people that were belonging to him, he realized that was the God of heaven. And he realizes that every single act of, of, of he wouldn't call it persecution, but of, of cleansing the, 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 the Jews in Jerusalem from this, this sect, each one of those acts was an act against God. And what we find that goes on, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him to the hand, 
by, by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Why didn't he eat or drink? Do you think there's a little bit of a something going on inside of him? Do you think that the faces of, of Stephen, the faces of the other disciples that he's put in prison, are going are flashing before, his, before him? As Stephen cried out when he was just in his last moments, all those things are flashing before Paul, and it is absolutely crippling him. The process to embracing forgiveness is not always an easy one. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How did Paul go from fasting and, and just sort of just all these faces going past in his mind, how did he come to the point where he was able to fully embrace the reality of who he was now in Christ? What was the process? At first, we had um, Ananias came in and put his hand on Paul and said, Brother Saul, the very person that he was going to, to, um, to, to persecute in, in, um, in Damascus. Forgiveness. When Barnabas came, when he went to the apostles and they cast him off, and Barnabas sat down with him and said, Hey, Paul, give it another shot. I'll talk to them for you. Slowly but surely, Paul was starting to embrace and realize who he is now in Jesus. I want to take you to a psalm in Psalm 32 in verse 1. And I think it just, it really describes the whole process to forgiveness really well. Psalm 32, and you can turn this on the screen, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Wouldn't you love to have all your sins just covered away so you couldn't see them? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now here David then goes on to describe his situation before he found the forgiveness in Jesus. He says, For when I kept silent, when I kept it to myself, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Where you're groaning all day long, your bones were wasting away? We experience a little bit of that just from shooting an arrow through a tank. And I can imagine that Paul was fully experiencing this when he realized what he'd really done. It goes on to say in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What did Paul do to have... For Paul to have his sins covered, what did he have to do? Uncover them. Can you see that? Paul had to face the reality of his past and face the reality of those people that he had hurt and it was only when he confronted that and he confessed that that he was able to have his sins covered. 
And toward the end, he could say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, before we go on to the third point, I'd just like to invite the deacons. We do have connect cards today. Okay, I think, did, did that message get out to the deacons? That we have the connect cards? It's getting there. Okay, so the connect cards didn't get in the hands of the greeters this morning. Because that was our fault, but... For those who are new here, we have these things called Connect Cards. And basically, these are a way that each one of you can each week make a decision to apply the things that you've been learning to your life um, today. So the, the deacon's going to go around and they're just going to start passing those cards out. Just put your hand up and, and reach out to them and grab one as they do so. And as they're doing that, we're going to quickly race through our final point for the sermon today. So genuine forgiveness, embracing forgiveness, number three, contagious forgiveness. What does it mean for something to be contagious? I remember at summer camp, I went to the summer camp in America for two months, and I know there's some people here who've been to the Big Lake summer camp as well, and we only had a couple people sick throughout the entire time. It was a really good camp, but on the very last day, we woke up and there was around about 30 people who had this terrible flu in, in the camp. It was just, it was like a war zone. People were throwing up in the bathrooms. People would run out of the hall and just like throw up all over the ground. It was a really gross, disgusting time because something contagious had gone around. Someone had, one of the kids had brought some sort of sickness, which had then gone to their friend, then gone to their friend, and then got spewed up all over the ground and then went to everyone. Something like that. Now, not only bad things and sicknesses are contagious, and what we can see in Scripture here is that forgiveness is also contagious. Okay, and we're going to race through our final parts of, the, of, this, of this book. We're up to Acts 21, verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles out, and we're just going to quickly go through this last section. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Remember, that's where Paul was going all along. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the home of, of Nason, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one, one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And they heard it, and they glorified God, and said to him, and, and said to him, so Paul's there. Paul's, he's made it to Jerusalem. He meets with the apostles, all the, the disciples who were there, and he relays to them all the great things that God has been doing all around the world. And are they excited? They glorify God. But then they say something else. It says, so verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear of what you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have found four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have told about you, that you yourself also live in observance to the law. Recap. They come there, this whole situation with the Jerusalem Council about the law, which they should have sorted out, new converts to, to um, Christianity amongst the Jews, and they're like, it's an issue again. And they've heard this rumor that, um, Paul is teaching everyone everywhere not to 
care about the law at all. And so instead of the, the, the leaders standing up, for, standing up for Paul, they say, Paul, go down to the temple and do this little ceremony thing so they know that you are a man who believes in the law. Does Paul do that? He does. When the seven days were almost... Oh, verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he's in there, he's doing the ceremony, showing them, I care about the law, I care about the law, I care about the law. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, probably from Ephesus, remember, I didn't mention this before, this is Pentecost, um, there's Jews from all over the country, all over the, the world who are coming back to Jerusalem, many who have got, had got into fights with Paul all over the place, and there one notices Paul, says, aha, that's him. Crying out, verse 28, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and he defiled this place. Goes on to show that they wasn't the case. Anyway, let's jump down to verse 32. It says, And at once he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Recap, I just skimmed through that. You might have missed a lot of it, but... What had happened is Paul went down to the temple and someone recognized him and said, Aha, this is Paul. He's the one that's stirring up trouble all over the world. And all the Jews basically just jump on him. And they start beating him up. They're trying to kill him. And the next thing that happens is one of the the Roman um, guards, they hear about this. They didn't want this whole thing to to, um, break out and spread throughout and cause all sorts of a a riot and trouble in, in Rome, or in, in Jerusalem, but in the Roman Empire. And so they race down, and they grab him, and they bring him into the barracks to protect him. However, Paul says something here that shows that the forgiveness that had been shown to him was now also in Paul's heart as well. It says, let's read from verse 39. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, Permit me to speak to who? Can you see it there? Verse 39. Permit me to speak to the, the people. Here we see Paul has just been beaten up to his near death, following, remember all the people throughout all the cities saying, you're going to get beaten up when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to get beaten up. He gets beaten up. He gets dragged out to safety. But Paul looks back at all those people that were beating him, and he sees himself. He remembers that he was one of them back all those years ago. He remembers that if this took place back then, he would have been one of the ones beating, beating him up. And he has compassion on the people. And instead of seeing this angry mob, he sees a, an audience and he says, send me back out there. I want to stand out before those people and I'm going to preach to them. And next week we're going to hear that sermon. But the thing that we, we learn from this is that Forgiveness is contagious. Jesus stood up on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do when he was speaking to his murderers. That flowed on to Stephen when he was getting killed. He looked up at the people, including Paul, and said, Do not hold this sin against them. And Paul had been transformed by that forgiveness that he had seen. And here he can look at an angry mob that is seeking his destruction, and he can say, 
send me out there. I have a message for those people. A message of forgiveness. So we'll just quickly race, run you through the Connect cards. So pull out your cards. There's three decisions that you can make today based on our three points. Our first point is genuine forgiveness. And our question is, or our statement is, Jesus, help me to forgive others like Philip did. And as I said, there's probably a lot of people here, probably for myself as well, there's people in our lives who are in, gen- who are in need of forgiveness. People have done wrong to us, and we're holding that grudge within us, whether it's our cat or whether it's someone who's done something really serious like, um, like Paul. So if you want Jesus to help you to forgive others like Philip did, tick that box there. Number two, Jesus, help me to embrace forgiveness like Paul did. So as I said, sometimes it's easier to forgive others than it is to forgive yourself. And there's people here today who have a journey of, that they need to go on on embracing forgiveness that will involve confronting the past, confronting God, confronting the people that you love around you, or maybe you're struggling to love, and actually working towards that forgiveness just like Paul did. So Jesus, help me to embrace forgiveness like Paul did. And number three, Jesus, teach me to love those who have wronged me just like Jesus did, just like Stephen and Philip did, and just like Paul did. And if you would like to learn more about the Jesus that we've been reading about, you can click to receive Bible studies, or secondly, if you'd like to be committed to him, you can click be baptized. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful that we belong to you. But we know that the only reason that we belong to you is that you have made us anew, Lord. You have covered our sins. You have shown us genuine forgiveness, Lord. And we just pray that you'll help us to truly embrace that, Lord. Help us to truly experience what it's like to not only um, believe with our minds that we are a new creation, but believe with our hearts that we are a new creation, Lord. And I pray that for those people that, that we need to forgive, Lord, I pray that you'll give us the you'll give us a little part of your forgiveness, Lord. May your forgiveness to us be contagious to those people around us, Lord. Help us to love those who do us wrong. Help us to be like you, like Paul, like Stephen, who can look out on the very people that are doing them wrong and, Lord, have love in their hearts for them because we know that's the way that you look at us, Lord. So be with us now. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.